0: This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's now time for Activate, a show brought to you by Amnesty International.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Activate for the month of November. Thank you very much you loyal listeners for tuning in once again and a shout out to any Auckland listeners if we have you out there. Thank you so much. Um, We owe you a lot here in the South so keep on keeping on. Tonight we have a busy show. We've got a very interesting interview with Alva Fieldmeyer. She is the Executive Director of 350.org, or 350 Aotearoa, which is the New Zealand arm of the international climate movement. We also have a contribution from Stefan. Stefan will be plugging for Right for Rights 2021, and that is on the 10th of December. That is International Human Rights Day, so get your pens and pencils up and going and use your freedom to write a letter. So we are now to Alva Fieldmeyer. And as I said, she is Executive Director of 350 Aotearoa, and that's an organisation which aims to unite the world around climate change solutions. She was born and raised in Germany Moved to New Zealand in 2016. Alva studied at the University of Otago. Uh, Her studies involve social anthropology and indigenous development. She has been a board member of Amnesty International since 2019, and her previous involvement with Amnesty International has been through a volunteer regional organisation role and also the Otago University Amnesty Branch President. Urgent and aggressive action is needed to halt global warming. So basically, that's what I'm asking Alva Feldmayer tonight. Are we there yet? Yes. Thank you very much, Alva Feldmayer, for giving us your time this evening. Um, I'm sure you've got so much information and things you can tell us. Um, But I just wanted to start firstly with... Tell me about your day-to-day work at 350.org.
2: Yeah, kia ora. Thanks for inviting me. Um, awesome to be here with you today. Yeah, so what my day-to-day work involves, um, it's a bit different every day. Um, so I'm the Executive Director for 350 Aotearoa, which is the New Zealand arm of the international climate movement, 350.org. To put it really simply, what we try to do is unite the world around climate change solutions. Um, And my day-to-day mission is to strengthen and grow climate action in communities across Aotearoa. And we do that through running campaigns that challenge the cultural acceptance of fossil fuels and try to push New Zealand and the rest of the world back on track to 350 parts per million and consequently climate safety.
1: Excellent. And that's where the name 350 comes from.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And that refers to the number that leading scientists say is the safe upper limit for carbon dioxide in our atmosphere.
1: Okay. I've asked you onto the show to talk about COP26. What I wanted to ask first, though, is can you tell us how do negotiations work at such a large conference like this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's really important for everything else that I'll probably um, answer today um, is, yeah, negotiations, they don't start from scratch. There's a massive of issues inherited from previous COPs and intersessionals. Um, bearing in mind, we've got COP26. So this is the 26th time that countries around the world are coming together Um, Every COP parties try slipping in new stuff, and they usually are received by something like, this was not what we agreed at the last COP. Um, The point being, they haven't really agreed to anything in the last COP anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's good to remember that there's a theatre between sovereign states and the bending over backwards to accommodate red lines and the verbal acrobatics. um, That can be mind boggling. but. Anyway, if if there is an agreement between bureaucrats in the first week of COP, then this goes into a draft text for a decision which is then passed on to ministers at a political level for a swift decision. And this, to be honest, has happened. um, I can't really remember the last time it's happened for anything significant. So if bureaucrats of the parties cannot agree on anything, but they are under pressure for a decision, then the text with options come in. And basically, the positions of groups and parties are formulated and put into draft text as various options, which are then sent to ministers to decide. Um, And there is quite a strong chance that the decision will not be taken and referred to a future COP. um, And that's under Rule 16. And if these options are too, in particular, if these options are too far away from each other. Um, and then a lot what we've seen in the news and that will people will be keeping track of our different pledges. So that's when uh, countries decide to pledge and make certain commitments for our climate.
1: Excellent. So if the subject matter wasn't so grave, you actually paint a picture that could be quite comic to watch.
2: I think it must be, yeah, and um, there is a range of media, civil society, so that's different organisations and stakeholders and scientists who attend COP as well, Um, in addition to delegates and government officials um, from all around the country. Um, I've never been to a COP myself, but I've heard from many people, it's quite a very hectic place to be in, yeah.
1: Mm you use the term pledges and just from my reading around cop 26 over the last week or so that seems to be the main wording that i've latched onto as well and where the nuts and bolts really come come out i wanted to ask you now then about some of the main pledges that have come out so far from cop 26 and i thought we could do this tackle this by climate change topic so I wanted to first ask you about forests. We all know how important forestation of the planet is for absorbing carbon. What can you tell us about forests and COP26?
2: Yeah, so there was um, on day two already a quite exciting first pledge that was made and um, where 127 countries signed the Glasgow Leaders' Declaration on Forest and Land Use, pledging to halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation by 2030. The leaders who signed this pledge said it was really historic due to the number and diversity of countries that signed it so far, which represent more than 86% of the world's forest. And under the deal, more than 19 U.S. billion dollars have been pledged, um, of which 12 billion have actually come from 12 donor countries and the rest from private initiatives and philanthropic organizations. Unfortunately, um, this pledge is quite similar to previous pledges, in particular one that was made in 2014 at Uh, the COP in New York and again is lacking concrete methods to mitigate and reduce deforestation. There's a number of organisations that are claiming that this pledge is not addressing the root issues of deforestation which is namely agriculture because we know that three quarters of the deforestation is related to extensive meat and dairy farming as well as forestry. And indigenous leaders across the world who are at the forefront of deforestation struggles, in particular um, in the Amazon rainforest, um, a region that's most known for the huge amounts of hectares that get deforestated. There was an indigenous leader from uh, northeast of Brazil who said, um, if there is a climate crisis and if there is a lack of water, it is because the decisions have been solely based on politics and that much more is needed than just financing. Um, and what really the world needs to see is a global policy um, without fault solutions and with the participation of indigenous people. Um, so that's a bit disappointing mm. about this particular pledge. Um in New Zealand, from my understanding, did sign on to this. Um, however, from my knowledge, deforestation is not one of our primary concerns um, here was in New Zealand.
1: OK, thank you. Great detailed answer there. Next topic I'd like to ask you about is methane. So we all know about carbon, but methane is a particularly potent greenhouse gas. What pledges have been made on methane?
2: Yeah, it was quite interesting to see global leaders addressing methane, which they haven't done before. And the reason for that being is, as you say, that methane is particularly potent um, in the first few years. So what has happened, there was a global methane pledge, um, which 105 countries signed, including New Zealand. Um, And the goal of this pledge is to reduce methane emissions by 30% until 2030. Unfortunately, China, Russia and India, which are all major methane emitters, have not signed it on. Um, And knowing that methane is a very potent greenhouse gas um, and research is suggesting that cutting methane emission buys us time to make more structural changes. um, Yeah, it was a bit disappointing to see some major emitters not um, signing this. Um, and maybe also to put some context as to why methane um, is being discussed and is being considered, um, it's often known as a byproduct of fossil fuel production and of agriculture. So, here in New Zealand, we know that methane contributes 42% of New Zealand's greenhouse footprint, um, with agriculture being responsible for the vast bulk of that, um, namely 89%. Um, another 9% comes from rotting waste um, producers. Um, unfortunately, re- what this pledge will mean for New Zealand is not much because um, Climate Change Minister Shaw has confirmed that the government would not introduce any new methane policies or target as a result of this initiative. So currently we are still with what the government has committed um, in the name of the Zero Carbon Act, which is to reduce methane um, by 10 percent by 2030 between um and between sorry, 24 and 47 percent by 2050. So it's quite disappointing that the government has signed onto this pledge and is not considering taking any more action on this.
1: So that feels like signing on, but again, lacking concrete action.
2: Absolutely, and I think the potential of um, of this pledge was quite significant. Um, if we if all of the countries who signed on will fulfil this pledge over the next 10 years. It would be the equivalent to switching the entire transportation sector globally to zero emissions. Um, Also putting it in context of what some scientists and energy experts are saying, um, the the International Energy Agency, IEA, recommended setting a target of 75% cuts. So it's not quite as strong as... As we would have hoped for, but it's still significant.
1: Okay. I want to move on to ask you about coal, which is a major. Uh, George Monbiot, the British writer known for his environmental activism, wrote in The Guardian recently COP26 has to be about keeping fossil fuels in the ground. All else is distraction. What are your comments on coal and COP26?
2: Yeah, absolutely have to agree with that. Um, and as he says, it's not just coal, it's it's fossil fuels more generally that will need to stay in the ground. Um, coal has actually been a, a relatively big topic at COP um, with some significant outcomes that are shining through at the moment. So it seems like another nail in the coffin Um the question is just how many more nails will this coffin for coal need, but um, that's another one. Um, yeah, so at the moment what I looked at this morning is the COP cover decision draft. Um, so bearing in mind this is a draft, it um, came out in the early hours of Wednesday, um, so currently we're in the last few days of the COP negotiations and the last 48 hours are the most significant ones um, where yeah for, for these negotiations um, yeah and I think my main takeaways of that has been that under the mitigation heading um, it's calling on parties to accelerate the phasing out of coal subsidies for fossil fuels this is late um, and incomplete but it's the first time that we ever see an open call for reducing fossil fuels in a decision text um, which is really exciting Mm -hmm. um and it is still punished unfortunately one of the um the flaws that currently we've identified in in the draft decision text is that it's still punishing those countries that are dependent on coal and handing a free pass to those dependent on gas so we're seeing in terms of climate justice dynamics it's very clear that the developing countries are versus the poor um or the yeah developed countries um so there's, there's an the, an inequity there. Um, New Zealand also signed a pledge to phase out coal for electricity production by 2030 to 2040, which quite frankly is appalling. Um, mm. I really hope that we do phase out coal for our electricity production way before 2030. Um, and yeah, at the moment, many New Zealanders, because energy issues have been in, uh, have been, on the news quite a lot recently. We all know at the moment, so lights can stay on, we need coal to be burnt at Huntly, which is really sad because New Zealand used to be leading in having renewable um, energy because of our large uh, hydro energy here in Te Wai Um, But that was, we're pretty much out of the game, the renewable energy game at the moment because we've had decades of underinvestment in other renewable energy sources and are really dragging the chain there when it comes to electricity generation um, and this pledge unfortunately is also not taking into consideration coal being burned um, by dairy industries uh, for milk powder for mm. example um but there is actually a second part to to coal and to fossil fuels, which is coming through in the draft text, which is the investment of fossil fuels. Um, And I'm really passionate about that because it's one of the core areas that 350 have been campaigning on in the past decade. Um, And to quote one of New Zealand's finest reporters, Jonathan Milne from uh, Newsroom, New Zealand again, has uh, signed a pledge for fossil fuel investments um, that is likely to be broken. (laughs) Ah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been really disappointing. Um, so that was last week when the government signed up to end international support of fossil fuels next year. Um, and at the same time, we know that um, our public funds, such as ACC, who have got over 200 million invested in fossil fuels here in New Zealand and overseas, will most likely not be included in this pledge. Um, And a colleague of mine, David Tong from Oil Change International, has um, said, yeah, that Thursday's pledge is really an end to new international fossil finance that was largely focused on export credit agencies and the development of finance institutions, but it doesn't commit our government to ending all direct public Finance for unabated fossil fuels overseas. So, reading this commitment down um, to allow New Zealand's crown financial institutions, such as our public funds, ACC, New Zealand Superfund, to keep fueling the climate crisis. Um, and it's quite frankly just undercutting our commitment to 1.5
1: degrees. Mm, absolutely. Gosh, thank you. What a great answer there. So, we need RIP coal. Yeah, absolutely. Coal, all fossil fuels. Yeah. And all fossil fuels. <laughs> yeah. Rest so paste. the International
2: Energy uh, Agency has concluded already two times this year um, that there is no room for any new fossil fuel finance beyond the fields and mines that are already under development. Um, and there are some really shocking statistics that if we were to burn, all of the fossil fuels we've already explored and I know are under the ground, that we'd be looking at around 16 degrees of global warming. Mm. So we need an immediate phase out of fossil fuels.
1: Gosh, Ria, a lot to digest there. So I have just got time for a few more quick questions. And one I wanted to ask you is that through my sifting around of media reports this week, I saw a couple of headlines Um so, one in The Guardian was this is basically the upshot for COP26 impression of progress, but not nearly enough. Greta Thunberg says, stop greenwashing. Alva Feldmayer says, <laughs> um, A failure at this COP
2: does not mean a failure.
1: Mm, interesting. interesting.
2: Yeah. And that <laughs> One of <laughs> our Pacific climate warriors has said that COP is like a compass, and if we're able to get COP right, then we're pointed in the right direction. Um, and Brianna Fruin is Samoan and lives in New Zealand, and she says, at the end of the day, her people have traveled the oceans without a compass, and I've got uh, faith that we'll be able to do that too.
1: Uh. That brings me to my last question for you, Alva. Climate change is the heaviest of heavy issues. Well, it, it should be for everybody and will be catastrophic for humankind if more isn't done. This is your life's work, really. Where do you see hope in this area?
2: In the people around me, really, um, the climate movement <laughs> that continues, you know, throughout COP, um, there have been. Actions around the world. In Glasgow itself, um, Saturday last week, there were over a hundred thousand people um, marching the streets. It's really people doing all like extraordinary things. Um, who are already seeing and calling out the greenwashing and who I know in the coming years will hold our governments accountable to the pledges that they're currently making in Glasgow. And in my own day-to-day work, the wonderful volunteers who are part of 350 Aotearoa who, you know, are concerned for what they see happening in the world and are getting together and taking action. And I think finally, in particular, my colleagues in the Oceania region from the Pacific islands um, because hope is not an option for them. Um, you know, this is their day to day reality. They just, they just have to, you know, take climate action. They have to get on with it. They have to do it for their people, for for their islands. Um, and I too feel like, you know, I owe it to the future generations and to everything that comes after us.
1: Thank you for that uplifting final answer. And thank you so much for all of the work that you do. I am truly impressed and grateful. And thank you for your time. Thank you.
0: Good evening, Christchurch. Uh, this is Stefan and I'm here to tell you about good news events uh, slash uh, human rights in the news for the month of December. And uh, really, I'm just going to focus on one thing, and that is our annual Right for Rights which is uh, the largest letter writing event that Amnesty International hosts? Uh, it's a global event and it will be happening in Christchurch on the weekend of December the 11th. Um, so it's only a few weeks away. Uh, so December 11th is a Saturday, uh, 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock at 8 Philpotts Road in Midahoe. Everybody's welcome. So uh, here you might be asking what is Right for Rights? So again, every year around December, Amnesty International globally has this uh, letter writing event where individuals such as yourselves uh, sit down at a location, uh, and we, to be honest, there will be a bit of a virtual or online letter writing this year with some social distancing and COVID restrictions. Fortunately, in Christchurch, uh, we do have the opportunity to meet. Um, however, uh, we get together around the world around this weekend, and we write letters for a certain number of cases that have been selected by amnesty international um, here in new zealand we're skewing our focus slightly more on the asia pacific region But if you were to go to amnesty.org.nz and find the link to the Rights for Rights, you'll see all the different cases you could write for if you wish to do it from home uh, without physically attending an event. If I can give you a few uh, details, for example, um, Palestinian teenager Jana has been targeted with death threats because she bravely exposes human rights abuses by the Israeli military. Bernardo was jailed for defending the sacred river in Guatemala. Wendy was shot while peacefully protesting violence against women in Mexico. So these are just three of the 10 urgent cases that we're taking action uh, on this year. And we need you to join this Amnesty International's Right for Rights, the world's biggest event for human rights. And it does make a difference to brave human rights defenders whose lives are on the line. So... If you would like to attend, uh, all you need to do is bring your good selves to 8 Philpotts Road. Um, it's in Midaho. You can find all the details uh, on the Amnesty website, so amnesty.org.nz. You can find the event information, which is exactly the same, on uh, our Facebook page, Amnesty in Christchurch. As I said, all you need to bring is yourself. We will provide the letter-writing materials. We will provide the case information. We will provide the drinks, hot and cold. And uh, we will provide some cheeky snacks. Uh, So uh, some home baking, peppermint slice. I hear some chocolate peppermint slices on the cards. uh, As well as uh, some uh, slightly... uh, healthier options maybe but look we'd love to see you there bring your friends, whanau, flatmates, family anybody and everybody even if it's just along for a bit you don't have to stay for a whole two hours uh, just come along, write a letter um, uh, network and rub shoulders from a socially appropriate distance uh, with some Amnesty supporters We're looking forward to it thanks very much
1: That's another show for this month. Thank you very much for listening and do tune in for next month's show. Thank you very much to Plains FM once again for helping us put this show together. Use your freedom, write a letter for Right for Rights 10 December 2021 or go to amnesty.org.nz website for climate change actions. Thanks everyone.